0: Well, good morning. I'm Pastor David Dyer. It's my distinct honor and pleasure to proclaim God's word to you in all of its truthfulness. And sometimes that truthfulness comes in with a little bit of a bite. I just want you to know, I want you to be prepared for that this morning. Not that you would sit back and going, oh, is he going to share a personal story about me? Probably. Okay, just want to make sure. You're thinking, oh gosh, which one does he know? Well, we'll find out. i be honest with you, there is not one theme or one part of this message that I expect all of you to get out of the text this morning. This is one of those texts where we're going to go through verse by verse. I'm going to halt. Some of you that go, I just want to hear the whole thing read out altogether For crying out, could you? No, not this morning, sorry. This morning I'm going to start and stop and I'm going to pause because there is a gold mine to, to, um, to unearth, to dig out and to apply to our lives this morning. And you might find one part, you might find two, you might find 10, I I don't know. But what I hope happens is that as you hear God's word, you'll, you'll, you'll grab that one point and you'll just go, man, that is food for my soul this week. That's the intent. So if you would, turn. To Luke chapter 7, again, for those of you that brought your Bibles in today, uh, want to make sure that uh, you're doing that on a regular basis, makes it, makes it great uh, to be able to take notes, to be able to, to read, I might stick some sticky notes in, in the inside of your Bible that we, for those of you that your parents told you, do not ever write in your Bible, right? You can write on sticky notes and put it there. See, that way, you go home guiltless and free. Let me set the context for us today. All right, here's the context. We are gonna look at Jesus' interactions in the gospel of Luke as he meets people at a table. Metaphor, but a lot of it literal. The metaphor being is that you have a seat at the table. You've been chosen, that God wants you to be with him. You have a seat at the table. Some of us think of it in terms of business that you're a part of the negotiation or that you get to be part of the sale or that you're uh, up in the company and the company respects your opinion enough. To have a seat at the table is a big deal. In terms of fellowship, right, for Christians, having a seat at the table means that you're amongst family and friends. Yeah, go ahead and look at the people next to you this morning. Some of you, go ahead and fake it. They're family, go ahead. Just say, Just would you look at family this morning and just say, I'm glad you're here this morning. And I'm gonna ask Jesus to forgive all the evil things I think about you. (laughs) No, no. You got a seat at the table. And this morning, I want you to understand the significance of this table. This is huge. This is huge because we're gonna figure out just who Jesus invites to the table. And my guess is, is it's not who we think. It's probably not who we think. Again, I wanna set the tone. In first century Palestine, Israel, what has happened is that for 400 years God has not sent a prophet. For 400 years, God has not said a word. For 400 years, God has not shown up in a burning bush, a pillar of cloud. There have been no miracles performed for 400 years. This, after knowing we are the favored nation, God always shows up. God always protects. God never leaves us. And in those intervening 400 years, they've now been conquered by Rome they are no longer a nation unto themselves they live under the rule of an outside power and the religious leaders they're constantly reminding people hey come to temple come to church i know things seem oppressive right now i know things seem difficult right now but come offer up the sacrifices Remember the 413 extra laws, not to mention the Ten Commandments. Keep all of those and everything will get better, we'll promise you. The church, if you will, has been proclaiming this for 400 years. And the people are a little tired of it. You keep telling us it's going to get better and it doesn't seem like it. Is it any wonder that first century Palestine was looking for a savior? Yes, a savior, but a messiah, a king. Why? Because they're under oppression from another country, and they think that the messiah king is going to come in and give them their nation back. Oh, just like the good old days. That's where they sit. This is life. And the Pharisees run everything. Okay, the religious leaders of the day, they tell you when to come, when not to, tell you what you need to sacrifice for whatever sin you had that week, on and on. The, the Pharisees run the show. And every Friday, they would open up temple because Saturday was the Sabbath and that was the day to be kept holy, right? So there was going to be worship there, but Friday night, they would open up the temple as normal for, throughout the nights of the week. They would open up the temple and traveling teachers would come by. Well, it's, it doesn't say this right here in chapter seven, but we know because of the context and what happens that this is what happened right before Jesus is invited for this feast at this Pharisee's home, is that Jesus showed up at the temple. Jesus preached. Now, I don't know about you, but if this guy that you'd kind of heard some things about, he was early on in ministry, and he shows up to preach, I might go to temple that night. I mean, I might go, hey, he's done some pretty incredible things. He tends to speak with authority. You mean Jesus? You mean Joseph's little boy, the carpenter's son from Nazareth? Nothing good ever comes from Nazareth. No, no, I'm telling you, he's good. You want to come listen to him? And Jesus went into the temple and spoke. He probably spoke with authority. He may have even healed people. Most scholars believe this. That one lady who was loved by all and rejected by them all was probably there that night, too. I know we've got some youngsters, so parents. You'll have some splaining to do. This woman, this woman was used by all. Paid for it. But she was used, and everyone knew her. And everyone knew what she did. And everyone looked down their nose at her. You'd find her in the quiet, dark places around town, maybe in a doorway, in out of way places. It wasn't like she had a storefront with a big sign. But you knew where to find her. You knew what she offered. And you knew what it cost. And nobody talked about it. But they all knew. I want you to understand the context. Because after worship that night, as was a Pharisee's custom, when a teacher would speak, and if he did well, they wanted to find out more about this teacher. And so they would invite them over for a celebratory banquet. Now, how do we know this is different from just a Friday night meal? Well, it's there in the Greek, and I'll encourage you to go look that out. But here, in one other place, in the Gospel of Luke, the word for reclined at the table that we have in English is the word for reclined at at the party table. I mean, this this was a party that the Pharisee was giving for Jesus, which means he was to be honored It means that he wasn't just coming over, hey, we're we're gonna check you out. It means they believed the best about him and they wanted to show him honor because hopefully he might stay around and keep preaching. This is the context of when Jesus gets invited to go in to this Pharisee's home. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now again, I just want you to understand this. If this is the table anywhere from six to eight inches off of the ground, all right? So I know some of you in the back are kind of going, yeah, you already lost me, can't see it. That's all right, six to eight inches off the ground is the table. When you reclined at the table, what you did was you got down on your knees and you picked the side. Depending on what side of the table you were on, if the head of the table was up there and I'm here, I'd be laying on my right side. I'd lean on my elbow and we'd eat. We'd talk. If somebody talked over there, I'm gonna have to roll over a little bit, all right? Okay, but we try to keep the conversation on one side. Makes it a little easier. This is what it means to recline at the table. So you understand around the table, everybody's feet are on the outside. This is the context which we find ourselves this morning. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. She didn't come bidden, meaning invited. Some scholars say she probably knew the way. Probably wasn't her first time at the house. which lends credence as to why they didn't just immediately kick her out. And she came with an alabaster jar. An alabaster jar is no plain clay pot. An alabaster jar is finely crafted. It, is, it has a big bulb kind of at the bottom and then it comes up and it comes narrow and it's, it's usually about two feet tall It is a beautiful, beautiful piece of artistry. Costly. Empty. But hey, she could probably afford it. Her profession paid well. Inside that alabaster jar was this Perfume, this expensive perfume. Again, she could afford it. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping. Can you picture it? Jesus is there reclined at the table, she walks into the room, she she holds this alabaster jar, this precious jar she's holding, and she is weeping so heavily that the distance from where she is onto Jesus' feet, there's so much water pouring out that it's enough to cover Jesus' feet. His dirty, dry, disgusting feet. She began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair. I want you to get a visual of this. I'm crying so much, the feet are soaked. I now get to my knees and my precious hair. That for most women in public, you don't show anyone, but with her profession, she's used to having her hair down and out for everyone to see precious hair, and she takes that hair and she gets so low to the ground that she can wash his feet with her hair and her tears. And then (laughs) she kisses him. Some of you are just grossed out of the thought right now. You just can't even imagine. But she kisses those feet. It doesn't say he, he raised the feet or that she lifted them up to her. The picture is, is that she went down to where his feet were on the ground after washing them, and she kissed his feet. Let me read to you a verse in Psalm chapter 2. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling and kiss the Son. Son's capitalized. that means Jesus. Kiss the Son. In First Kings chapter 19, what is described as worshiping God is to kiss the feet of God. In the New Testament, New Testament Christians shared the peace of God by giving each other a holy kiss. You understand the vulnerability of kissing? I mean, we don't, we don't take it in the way that I think that God intended. A kiss is a holy thing. It's holy. Right, we tell our kids, well, be careful who you, well, it doesn't matter who you, I mean, you can kiss, you just can't, you know, anything else. No, a kiss is holy. A kiss is incredibly sensual. A a kiss is meant to show honor. It's meant to show humility, right? I mean, we'll just go into the biology of it a little bit. You're about to swap spit with somebody that they may or may not have brushed their teeth that morning. This takes great humility, She's as low as you can go. And she kisses his feet. Then she pours perfume. She anoints him. She takes this expensive alabaster jar. She pours it out. And she anoints the worst of him and says, this is holy. She worshiped. I want you to understand that. What she was doing was worshiping. If I could fake the emotion, I would. I don't know why I'm feeling it this morning, but for some reason I am deeply affected by this woman. Who everyone notices, but no one sees, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, huh, if this man were a prophet. See, I invited him over for dinner to check him out we 're going to see if he's really I mean, he preached pretty good, but let 's see if he 's a prophet." And he sees this and he goes, Phew. if this man were a prophet, he'd know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is. A sinner. Can, can you hear the disdain? What kind of woman she is. Like I'm so much better. Like you haven't sold your soul ever to the highest bidder. Like you've never compromised your morals ever. Like you haven't found yourself in a back alley or a dark room and wondered how you got there. Oh no, you've never been there. No, we've all been her. And what this Pharisee says is, if you're a sinner, you don't belong. And what this says is, I'm so much better than you sinners. And it couldn't be further from the truth. This guy who is so high and mighty and knowledgeable is missing the point. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. They probably didn't say it that way. I'm guessing Jesus went, sit down, son. I got something I'm fixing to tell you. better gird yourself up because it's coming full force. Okay, you probably didn't do that either. So somewhere in the middle, I'm thinking Jesus said, Simon, right? He uses his first name, right? You catch that? Simon, man, I know you, dude. I know you inside and out. You think, you think you're so above this. Dude, I know you. Sit down. I got something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Notice, before, prophet. I think he's a prophet. Oh, he's obviously not a prophet because he's letting the sinner touch him. Well, maybe I'll give him that he's a teacher. Still a respected position, but not as big as a prophet, right? So we're seeing this in the text. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he, gave, he forgave the debts. Of both. Once you understand this word forgave it is also the same word that, that Luke uses for um, to release, to forgive. It's the same root. We just use it different places in different contexts. But, but he says neither of them had the money to pay him back so he forgave. He released the obligation. He released you. You understand, right? And this is where Jesus is going. So we're just we're kind of moving back and forth, but when Jesus says, "I forgive you, I release you," is what he says. What does he release us from? In sin, shame, fear, doubt. Do you understand the power you hold when you don't forgive? What you hold over people by not forgiving is that you keep them in a place of shame and fear and doubt. Jesus, Jesus tells the story. He says, you know what? He forgave the debts of both. He released them. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose, right? Don't we do that? Well, I mean, I guess. I mean, I can kind of see where you're going with the story, but it probably doesn't really apply to me or anything. But uh, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt released, forgiven Same word. Jesus says you've judged correctly. So we know it, right? We know what it looks like. We know, we recognize that somebody who has sinned greatly, that once they're forgiven, what is the natural result of forgiveness? Love. The natural result of forgiveness is love. Great acts of love. Worship. Even. And he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, right? Get the picture. He's looking at her and talking to Simon. I love this. Do you see this woman? I was reminded a couple weeks ago that in most African cultures in their language, when they say hi or whatever is the equivalent of hello or good morning, just kind of that that morning or that you meet somebody walking down the hallway or on the road and you kind of wave and say hi, that in most African cultures what they say, literally translated is, is I see you which means I recognize you, I, I take you into account, you mean something, I see you. It's not like the rest of us that put our blinders up and just, good morning, yeah, it's good to see you. We walk through and we don't really see the people around us. You see, Jesus is looking at her and he's talking to Simon and he says, Simon, do you see her? I wish you'd have given more. Do you see her the way I see her, Simon? Do you see how much love and compassion I have for this woman, Simon? Do you know that I made her, Simon? Do you know that she's precious to me? And I know all you can think about, Simon, when you see her is her profession. But I see who I made her to be. She is precious to me. Do we see people that way? Or do we see them as adversaries? Do we see them as even family members to to beat down or to win on top of? Do we see who God has made? When I yell at my kids, I'm yelling at God's creation. When I spout off to my wife in a very loving manner, (laughs) I am spouting off to God's daughter. Do I see her? Do you see people? I came into your house and you did not give me water for my feet. You you didn't even wash my feet. You didn't even let me wash my feet, Jesus says. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And you, you didn't even give me a kiss which would have been right and holy, right, in this, in this time and in this place, to give a guest a kiss on both cheeks. You didn't even do that. And yet, this woman, from the time I entered, hasn't stopped kissing my feet. From the moment she entered, she has been worshiping me, is what he says. Holy, completely, self-sacrificing, giving everything she has to worship Jesus. You didn't put oil on my head. It means you didn't anoint me. You didn't think I was worthy of it. She didn't anoint my head. She anointed my feet, the worst of me, and said, these are holy. But she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. Now, some people read this section of scripture and go, okay, so because she worshipped, because she showed love, that's why Jesus then forgave. No, sorry. It's just, it's bad in English. (laughs) What he's saying is, um, evidently, she's forgiven because she hasn't stopped loving me so greatly. It's obvious, Simon, she's forgiven because forgiveness makes people do extraordinary things. Forgiveness humbles people in worship. Forgiveness humbles people to trust God in their finances. Forgiveness even takes hard hearts, softens them, and allows them to forgive. One writer wrote that verse this way, for this reason I tell you that her sins, her many sins, must have been forgiven her or she would not have shown such great love to me. Such great love. Therefore I tell you, Her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. If you're in a relationship where there's tension, and you're holding power over the other person by not forgiving them, it's no wonder it's tough for them to love you, right? You you see it? You, You get it? I'm just not getting enough love, well... Let's try forgiveness first. Let's, let's try to, for, well, I don't feel like forgiving. I, I know. Well, I don't think I should be the one forgiving. I know. But let's try that first and see if it doesn't produce what Scripture says it produces, which is great love. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. He's just making a declarative fact. It's not that they weren't forgiven before. He's just simply going, daughter, If you wondered, if you thought, even for a minute, even after these great acts of love, are you going, are you sure? He goes, you're forgiven. Not because you did this, but because I want to make it a declarative fact. You're forgiven. Friend, I don't know what sin you're dealing with in your past, but forgive yourself. Jesus already has. And forgive your spouse and forgive your children and put great acts of love in replacing that tension, that fear, that shame, that doubt, that guilt. Let great acts of love pour forth. The other guests began to say among themselves Who is this that even forgives sins? I mean, we thought he was a prophet, he did some cool teaching, but now he has stepped over the line. That's only God's job to do. <laughs> I'm God. That's what he just said. I'm God. Y'all are looking for a Messiah to release from the kingdom, to be your own separate nation. I'm here for much bigger things than that. I'm here to forgive sins. I'm here to release people. I'm here to free people from the past. I'm here to, to save the sick. The sinners. I'm here to forgive them. And you know what, Mr. Pharisee Simon? If you're so righteous and you don't have sin, because you obviously think you're better, then I didn't come for you. And if Jesus didn't come for you, he's not taking you home to be with him forever. You get it? Jesus came for sinners. If you're anything but a sinner, you're not going home with him. Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Faith, I've heard this guy. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll I'll bear shame. I'll show up at the Pharisee's house. I'll get in and I'm I'm gonna wash his feet. I'm gonna kiss them. I'm gonna anoint them. I'm gonna worship this guy. I already know he can forgive sins. He's announced forgiveness to me. Man, this is awesome. Your faith has saved you. Forgiveness, or faith, forgiveness, and peace. How many of you could use a dose of faith, forgiveness, and peace? Anybody here today? It's yours. For free. Aren't you glad you came to the table? It's incredible what he serves up. Amen.